0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. As part of this series, we're trying to encourage you with God's word and equip you with God's word in the encouragement and equipping part. There's some books here I want to recommend to you. They are in our bookstore. Three of the four are, actually. um, But these books have been specifically um, designed to help you as supplements to this series. Can I Really Trust the Bible by Barry Cooper? Last night, there were 13 copies in the bookstore. There may not be any uh, left right now. More will be coming in. This is a very small, concise, easy read, which is a fantastic compliment to this series as well. Let's say as a beginner, um, as a, as an entry-level book into the Things of God's words, truth, inerrancy, sufficiency, and whatnot. Taking God as Word by Kevin DeYoung, uh, a little more thorough, excellent, readable as well. Uh, There were 50 copies in our bookstore. I don't know how many are left after last night, but this is a great book to get. And then Urban Lutzer has written this book, Seven Reasons Why You Can Trust the Bible. It's been very helpful to me within this series as well over the years. It's a great look at all the reliability as we talk about today in God's Word. And that's also in our bookstore. Again, not sure how many copies are left. Fourthly, I just wanted to point this out. Um, Case for Christ is a great book by Lee Strobel. Um, this is a book, Case for Christ for Kids, which uh, my wife and I, we have used with our kids this past summer, continuing to use it uh, now. It's a great book and the entry-level aspect of apologetics. And just uh, helping your children think about some of the foundational things of the faith. It asks really good questions and I find it's very simple to read. And just uh, a real, real healthy approach to having your children think about, we have so much reason to believe in what we believe. And that's so much of what we're doing today as well. We want to, again, encourage and equip you um, in these And so this brings us to our second week in our foundational and all essential series um, Because I Said So, which is on the authority and the power of God's Word. Uh, let me just say this, not to draw attention to myself, but just to make sure it's clear. I need grace from you today. I've been struggling with sickness now for a week or two weeks whatever, and my voice is killing me right now, and just, I have like that kind of ache feeling all over your body, but I'm trusting in God for what happens. Made it through last night. Two more today, so if I fall over on the side, that's what's happening, alright? Alright? Just give you guys some understanding. In fact, let me just pray for us uh, right now as we uh, get in uh, to God's Word. Father, we, uh, we need you. Amen, church? We need you. We need you, Lord. And so we gladly uh, bow ourselves before you and just humble ourselves and saying, God, your grace is sufficient for us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the truth already expressed uh, through the service and all the encouragement we are getting through song, through baptism, through prayers, through the things that you are doing, oh God, through the stories of lives in the past. And now, Lord, the most important story, the word of God and Jesus Christ. So, Lord, speak. Please teach, encourage, and greatly build upon the foundation, I pray, of your word among your people. Oh, how we need you. And I pray every heart is impacted, Lord, young and old. Would you do that supernaturally in our midst now? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you just heard of Justin who was baptized. And in his baptism interview this past week with Pastor Carl, it came to the end. And this was before the first message last weekend. And this Justin didn't know about the series. And Carl said, so why do you want to get baptized? And he said, well, I guess at the end of the day, it's because God said so. And he said it right there. I love that so much. See, God's word is God's word. That's the authority over our lives. Why do you get baptized? At the end of the day, because he said so. Right? Hey, are you here right now? And you get to be baptized? And you're a genuine believer in Jesus Christ? He's spoken about this, right? And right, why do I do it? Obedience, why? Because he said so, because he saved me. I proclaim that to others. And as you were encouraged today by the voices in the tank today, you can be the next voice in that regard too. Another great example came from one of our loved ones in our deaf ministry who'll be baptized next service. And her testimony was, I'll paraphrase it like this, she was in a, a real space of darkness, and feeling so much evil, and she was just longing for something to appease this, and longing for truth. All she needed to do, she grabbed the Bible, and she put it, under, put it under, her, under, her, under her pillow to sleep at night. And wouldn't you know it, peace came upon her. And long story short, she was led into this church under the translation of her deaf ministry. She heard the word preached, and she said, this is truth, this is truth, and now she's getting baptized next service. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Hey, it's the power. Amen. Amen. It's the the power of the word of God. It's why we do the series that we're in right now. It's the reason Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Listen, listen, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. See what God's word does? It revives, it makes wise, it causes us to rejoice and enlighten lightens our eyes and what do I have to say about that verse I have to say bam 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 and then bam that is what god's word does isn't it so powerful the bible is life the bible is wisdom the bible is joy the bible is our safeguard and our security pointing us to the refuge of our god and listen listen the bible is vision and proverbs 29:18 says where there is no vision the people perish and that word vision there in the Hebrew, really, where there is no prophetic vision, where there is no revelation, where there is no truth of God being proclaimed, the people cast off restraint, meaning they run wild. There is, there, there, there is no true life. Interestingly, that verse in our peace tower, on Parliament Hill, where there is no vision, the people will perish. That is why God has always used his word to make the individual God uses his word to make the family. And God uses his word to make a nation. Listen to this quote I stumbled upon by a guy named, I think, Jim Cottrell. He said this, Jim McCotter, sorry, about England. Listen to this. And this was written, obviously, 150 years ago or so. He says this. England has two books, the Bible and Shakespeare. England made Shakespeare, but the Bible made England. England. Just think about that. That is, that is super encouraging for me. But isn't it interesting? Because that is true. Isn't it interesting? You look at England now. They have begun to close the book. And as they close the book, they open up a level of chaos I've never seen before. You close the book in your life. You close the book on the nation. And you begin to open up chaos. Because God's word is the authority for our lives. And that's why, loved ones, we must keep Opening up the book every single day and every time we meet. If we don't open up the book, chaos erupts. So let's do that right now. Let's open up our book, God's Word, to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, and we're looking at verses 6 to 8 to begin our message today. <coughs> Isaiah 40, verse 6. Today is going to be very Um, practical, and a lot of evidence. Evidence given internally and evidence given externally as well. I'm praying you're going to be encouraged. A lot of facts are coming, a lot of information we pray God will use to result in transformation. Isaiah 40, um, verse 6. This sets up the reliability of the Word of God. Today is a time-tested authority, the reliability of God's Word. And this is a fundamental text for that truth. A voice says, verse 6, a voice says, cry to Isaiah. And Isaiah says, what shall I cry? What do you want me to cry, God? Notice this. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, Surely the people are grass. Again, notice what God wants us to see here, wants us to understand. All flesh, all flesh is grass. All of mankind is grass. Grass comes, grass goes. Grass, grass withers. Grass, grass fades. Grass is transient. Grass will not last. Grass, I, I cut my lawn yesterday. My son uh, helped me. We cut the grass. The, the things go, well, they found the ground and they're gone. They're just gone. They come and they go. They grow and they're gone. All flesh is like grass. And the Spirit of God breathes on it. Surely the people like grass. Verse 8, verse 8, verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Here's the point, loved ones. People, please understand this. People come and go. Governments come and go. Cultures, they come and they go. Okay? We must understand these things things nations nations come and nations go but this is what remains the word of our god will stand forever again notice the cry the cry from god here is loved ones loved ones loved ones don't rely on man don't rely on that which is like grass but rely on the word of god Do not put your trust in that which will only last for a moment. Life is but a vapor. We are but a mist, it says in the book of James. Don't rely on that which, again, can't ever fulfill the promises it makes. Rely on God and his word, which stands forever. And notice this too in verse 7. Notice, when the breath of the Lord blows on it, okay? All flesh is like grass, Men are so transient. We put so much, this is such an important point for us right now. We put so much stock in the fear of man. We put so much stock in the leaders of our world. We're so aware of the current temporary environment and we, and we find ourselves so filled with anxiety and worry and, and lacking faith and we're, just, and we're just looking around and we're just biting our nails on what we see. But God's like, listen, listen, all those people you're fearing... All those leaders you're afraid is going to do something, all these armies coming. He's like, I go, and they go, all right? I just breathe on them, and they are done. They are dust. They come to nothing. So let's just stop. Let's time out, time out. Let's just take stock right now. What is it that I fear? Do I fear man? Or do I fear God? Okay? Wisdom calls out. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. What am I trusting in? What am I relying in? Because God right here in his word, on a fundamental basis of his truth and his word, he wants every single one of you and me to hear this. Listen, listen. If you fear man, man, you're fearing that which will be gone in a heartbeat. But you fear me and my word. And you are trusting in that which will literally stand and last forever. What are we relying on? What is our Reliability. What are we relying on within our lives? God says, rely on me, rely on me, rely on me. It's too important. It's too important. I'll be really afraid of that person who's here for one second and gone the next. I love it, I love it. People come, they talk these big games, they make all these announcements, they declare this, declare that. The last time I checked, they die. And the word of God continues on over and over and over again. It's not I wonder if that's true. There's this fact. This is fact over thousands of years. Of years of this earth existence in the history of mankind. And don't miss this. <coughs> Excuse me. The test and proof of God's word according to this verse is the durability, the indestructibility, and therefore the reliability of God's word. Okay, So, so put your eggs in the basket of that which will stand forever. Put all your eggs in the basket of that which will last. So we're going to see today as, we, as we, say, we see the teaching of the reliability of God's word. There's so much evidence we have by faith in God's spirit internally to rely on God's word. And there's so much evidence externally as well. So let's start here, point number one. Let's start here, um, an overview of reliability. Okay. Let's get an overview of reliability. Listen to this quote by Josh McDowell on the reliability and unity of the Bible. By the way, this quote is on a resource page online, among the other quotes I will share with you today. McDowell says this. The Bible was written over a period of about 1,500 years in various places stretching all the way from Babylon to Rome. The human authors included over 40 persons from various stations of life. Listen to this. Kings, peasants, poets, Herdsmen, fishermen, scientists, farmers, priests, pastors, tent makers, and governors. It was written in a wilderness, a dungeon, inside palaces and prisons, on lowly islands, and even in military battles. And here's his point. Yet it speaks with agreement and reliability on hundreds of controversial subjects. Yet it tells one story from beginning to end. God's salvation of man through Jesus Christ. And here's how McDowell ends this amazing paragraph. He says this. No person could have ever possibly conceived or written such a work. Amen? Amen? Let's summarize the Bible and how it came together and its unity here on the screen. Notice this, okay? This is the book we hold in our hand. 40 different authors... Spanning over 1500 years, okay? That in itself is mind blowing, okay? Not 15 years, spanning over 1500 years, 40 different authors, okay? Three continents, Europe, Asia, Africa, written in three different places, vastly different backgrounds. We heard all the list of where they came from. This right here, it would be impossible, you would think, to have any kind of consistency and unity. There must be disagreements within this book somewhere, and all the different people saying a different message. But notice, notice. and yet, with all these factors, there's perfect unity in theology throughout this book. Perfect unity in theology. Perfect beauty in its consistency and theme and story. When you look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you start seeing the thread of salvation and the story of redemption and Jesus Christ, one of my favorite aspects of God's word is biblical theology. Where a um it's a study of historical progress through through the Bible over time on certain themes when you take that the the tabernacle on the presence of God as it was revealed to the Israelites in the Pentateuch and then you see the temple being built and the presence of God by Solomon there and him building that and then Jesus Christ comes as the temple on earth and then Christ ascends to heaven that's the gospels and Christ ascends to heaven and then we become the temple of the Holy Spirit now in the present of the church as seen in the epistles and so on you have a perfect unity throughout the Bible on this one issue and this amazing story of, of, of salvation. And this is 40 authors, 500 years, three concepts, all these different backgrounds. And here we have this book that is incredibly majestic and really supernatural and awesome. That is, that is the book. Look, look, look. There's only one explanation for that. And it's this, 2 Peter 1. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The only explanation for all of this and then this is that. God wrote this book and he led all these people over these times, to have this message that we now hold in our lives. And just think, since the New Testament was written, 2,000 years later, and here we are with a book left unchanged. So much reason, so much reason for faith in the reliability of God's word. And I want you to know, too, that no book has come under more scrutiny more attack and more outright persecution, it here it stands as strong as ever. Why? Because the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Listen to what H.L. Hastings said. He said this, "'Unbelievers for 1,800 years have been refuting and overthrowing this book, yet it stands today solid as a rock. Its circulation increases, and it is more loved and cherished and read today than ever before.'" Unbelievers with all their assaults make about as much impression on this book as a man with a tack hammer would in the pyramids of Egypt. When the French monarch proposed a persecution of the Christians in his dominion, an old statesman and warrior said to him, I love this, he said, Sire, the church of God is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. Now, the church, according to the world, is so often seen as so weak. You know, in a lot of ways we are. We're so weak, and yet, because God uses underdogs, we're so strong. We're so strong. Just when you think, oh, they'll never make it, they'll never make it, what a bunch of losers, blah, 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 so but And yet, here is the church being built because at the end of the day, if God is for us, who can be against us? And Jesus Christ said, I will build. See, we're not building it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Hastings goes on, he says, So the hammers of the unbelievers have been pecking away at this book for ages, but the hammers are worn out and the anvil still endures. He says, If this book had not been the book of God, men would have destroyed it long ago. Emperors, popes, kings and priests, princes and rulers have all tried their hand at it. I love it, I love it. He says, They die and the book still lives. Amen? Amen. That should fire you up as it fires me up. I mean, I just think, I think, of the faith that was exercised in the early centuries as the New Testament coming together, as the canon again becoming alive and recognized before them. And here we are again, all these hundreds of loved ones, so much evidence just with time. Because the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The evidence is so encouraging. So if you would like to, you can turn to your neighbor right now and you can say, God wrote a book. Go ahead. Turn to your neighbor. God wrote a book. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Amen. And now you can turn to your neighbor and say, you should read it. All right? Go ahead. You should read it. God wrote a book. (coughs) All right. An overview of reliability. Point number two is this. Let's look at this aspect now of God's word. The reliability of the canon. The reliability of the canon. Some of you are like, we're shooting things now? No, 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 no. Let's get canon defined as it it pertains to the book of God, okay? The canon of scripture on the screen, here's the definition of it. The canon of scripture is the list of all the books that belong in the Bible. The 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. It is the list of the authoritative and inspired scriptures. The word canon can be traced to the ancient Greeks, where they used it in a literal sense. Um, A cannon then was a rod. It was a a staff, kind of like our yardstick or our meter stick. That was a cannon to them. So figuratively speaking then, the word implied straightness or uprightness, used for a measuring rod, which would then mean um, the standard or the norm. So, the canon is therefore a collection of books that constitute or qualify as the written word of God. The word canon then implies also that the Bible consists of only the writings that have been divinely inspired by God. So, if it's not in the canon, if it's not inspired by God, it does not carry God's authority. But I want to be crystal clear about this point. I need you to think clearly with me. God help us in this. And this is a foundational part for this whole message, okay? It's this truth. The canon ultimately, loved ones, the canon is determined by God, not men. Okay? Make sure you understand that point. It's a huge point of faith. It's so encouraging for my heart, okay? Men did not determine the canon of scripture, men recognized. The already determined scripture inspired and written by God. Some of us understand why this is a big deal. Some of us aren't quite on the same page yet. Let's gather more people if we can. People often fail to distinguish between determination and recognition of canonicity. They fail to distinguish the determination of canonicity, God, and the recognition of canonicity, that's man's job, to recognize, not to determine. Here's what Norm Geisler says um, about this truth. He says this, if the word canon implies the status of the Bible by virtue of its inspiration, okay, so canon equals what God has inspired, the word canonicity then often implies to the recognition of the status by the church, Okay? So the church is just recognizing what has been inspired by God, which is a part of the canon. It is the process by which the various books of the Bible were brought together and their value as the word of God. This is not determined. Their value as the word was recognized because they're simply recognizing what God has inspired, which he determined to be part of his book from the very, very beginning. Okay? Again, here's the crucial point I'm trying to convey and one that I love. The starting point of answering the question, where did the Bible come from? The starting point to answer that question is the Bible came from God, okay? And so what we're doing here is we're having a proper view then of the canon. That's point 2A, the proper view of the canon. Listen to this, listen to this, okay? Listen carefully. A book in the Bible is not canonical because it's valuable. Rather, a book is valuable because it's canonical. You keep talking, to get some understanding. In other words, man does not read a book and say, wow, this is great. Let's put this as a part of God's word, and they assign it then to scripture. No, no, Man, man reads a book, discovers it's incredible, realizes it's supernatural. Why? Because God determined it to be a part of the Bible again in the first place. The point is, man did not determine, God determined the Bible. Now, this is also a very, very helpful quote some of you might have seen before. I love this. It's just such a great um, comparison. The church no more gave us the New Testament canon than Sir Isaac Newton gave us the force of gravity. Very helpful for me when I first got that quote, okay? So Newton doesn't give us gravity. He just discovers it, what God put there in the first place. God gave us gravity by his word of creation. No human being can take credit for gravity, It's only God. We discover these things. Similarly, he gave us the New Testament canon by inspiring the individual books that make it up. So more people are starting to get some light bulbs right now. God has determined the canon, not man. So canonicity then, let me sum this all up by saying this. Canonicity is determined or established authoritatively by God. It is merely discovered by man. And on our resource page, because I said it's a resource page, we have a whole article of how the canon came into be through the first few hundred years um, in the early uh, centuries. And you can read that as things that I don't have time to get into uh, today. Some of you are saying, okay, well, why is this point so important? Why, wh- why belabor this point that canons determined by God? This is why, this is why. If you believe in the Bible that the 1,400 verses that speak of the sovereignty of God, and if you believe that God spoke and creation came to be, if you believe God in his infinite strength, power, and wisdom, then you believe that the ultimate reason you and I have the 66 books of the Bible is because that is exactly what God decided would be, Okay? So here's some, uh, here's some faith fuel for us now. The reason the Bible is infallible, the reason the Bible is indestructible, the reason the Bible is inexhaustible, the reason the Bible cannot be made ineffective is because, because God ultimately has exalted above all things his name and his word. Because the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So, so when we have a proper view of the canon For me, man, doubt flees and faith fills. God wrote a book, man. He wrote a book and he has determined. Now here's a very here's a very helpful chart that will again further our understanding as to the canon of God. Now, on the left side here we have the incorrect view, okay? This is bad. Everyone say it for me bad. Bad. Okay, bad. And this is good, all right? This is this is good. The correct view and the incorrect view, okay? The bad incorrect view is this. The church is the determiner of the canon. No, no, bad. That's bad. Okay. No, the church doesn't determine the canon. The church discovers the canon. God determines the canon, okay? The church is the mother of, no, 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 bad, bad, no, no, we're the mother I love this, we're the child we're subservient to the authority of God's word, we're not dictating to God what's happening in his word the church is not the magistrate we're the minister of the canon. I mean, my job here is never to decide which parts you need to hear and which parts you don't, and what God has said what God has. My job is simply to take God's word as written by Him and give it. I just minister to you the gospel, minister to you the word of God, and nothing more. We, we, we are children of the canon and ministers of the canon. The church isn't the regulator of it, it's the recognizer. It's not the judge. The church isn't the judge. It's the witness of what God has already said in his word. The church is not the master. Now, by the way, by the way, a large portion, again, of let's say the Catholic church, they have a mixture of this stuff happening in where you have, yeah, authority of God's word, but the authority of the pope and others, and they're kind of side by side where man is elevated as high as God's word. That's just wrong. Like there's no way that that's the Bible that we're reading understanding God's authority. And so there's some of this happening within the Catholic Church which becomes a very, very big problem of understanding where authority really lies. If authority ultimately lies with man, we're in big trouble. The authority relies on God because he is the only one who can properly deliver that. So we're not the master, we're the servant. We serve the canon. Interestingly, in this sentence, the church is the, if you put God is the on this line, this view becomes correct now. God is the determiner, God is the mother, God is the magistrate, God's regular, God's judge, God is master of canon. And this whole thing flips, and that's the correct view of the canon. We are servants of the authority of the word of God. I love this truth. I love this truth, and it's so important. And by the way, just on a side note, there's an article about this on our resource page as well. Some of you are like, well, what's up with the Apocrypha? The 15 books that the Catholic Church took in is 11 of them. What you need to understand about the Apocrypha is um, these were all books that many uh, church fathers through history, too. There was errors in them. They did not line up with it. The, they they um, the vast majority believed they were not inspired at all. In the 1500s, the 1500s now, okay, in the 1500s, the Catholic Church adopts certain books of the Apocrypha. And the reason, the reason is, it's undeniable, the reason is they were so threatened by Protestantism and the Reformation. And what was happening is the Reformers were finding out, wait, the things you're teaching, it's not in God's Word. That's not here. Uh, praying to the dead. Worshiping angels. Uh, justification by works. That's not in here. So the Catholic church scrambling at that point because they have to find teachings that support these views that aren't in the 66 books of God's word. And so what happens is they adopt certain books that they have found, again, within the Apocrypha that come in to justify the teachings that, again, we believe are illegitimate and not actually inspired in part of God's scripture and his word. You can look up on an article online because I said it's a resource page. You can read it in full. Josh McDowell has a full article. There's others in there as well. Don't take my word for it. You read them and you study and my faith just builds man. we got it. We got it because God has given it to us and we're just trying to follow him and where he is. So we've looked at the reliability of the canon. Now what I want to do is I want to look at the general reliability as to the testimony. What kind of testimony do we have as it pertains to Scripture? So point number three is this, um, the reliability of testimony. The reliability, what kind of testimony? We're going to go through several of them. Here's the first on the screen beside me as well. Let's look at the testimony of history as it pertains to God's Word. So what we mean by this is, Significant portions of the Bible are historical. Which means then, if it's historical, they subject themselves to historical investigation. So, the test as to the historical reliability of the Bible then is best studied through the field of archaeology. Listen to these quotes on this subject by various archaeologists. Renowned archaeologist William Albright said this, there can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial historicity of the Old Testament tradition. Okay? Hear that. Nelson Gluick said this. He said this. It may be stated categorically, he says, categorically it may be stated that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted or disproven a biblical reference. Wow, wow. Stated categorically that no archaeologists have ever disproven the Bible. Because if it does, then God's word isn't what it says it is. Scores, he says, scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible, and this is ongoing all the time. Different discoveries are made, and the Bible continues to be proven over and over again. Miller Burrell states this: More than one archaeologist has found his respect for the Bible increased by the experience of excavation in Palestine listen, regardless of what you hear in the media, the truth is the testimony of history has only dramatically strengthened the evidence that the Bible is completely true and is God's word and without error. The testimony of history. Uh, secondly, this, the testimony of prophecy. The testimony of prophecy. Now this is a very powerful argument because of, of, of this. No unconditional prophecy found within the Bible pertaining to events of the present day Okay, So prophecies that we can measure up until this part, no prophecy made by Scripture pertaining to events up until this time has gone unfulfilled. None, none. Did you know there are 61 major prophecies regarding the life of Jesus Christ? And all of these are written hundreds of years before Jesus Christ ever came to earth. The chances of these prophecies being fulfilled are literally beyond comprehension. Like, no, really they are. It's so astronomical that these prophecies would be fulfilled in one person. It is beyond our comprehension. For example, let's consider just eight of these 61 prophecies coming true in the life of one man. Eight of these prophecies coming, the odds are, the odds are one in 100 million billion. Okay? One hundred million billion—that's a hundred, as I understand it. One in one hundred quadrillion. Okay, that's a big number. Let's let's look at the number right here. Here's here's the chances. Okay, these just facts, man. This is a guy did a whole study, a science on this, studied all the probability that the eight prophecies fulfilled in one person hundreds of years before fulfilled in Jesus Christ. One in one hundred quadrillion. One hundred million billion. Okay, that eight and sixty-one of them. So just how big does this number get then? It becomes so big. Listen, it's statistically impossible for it to happen other than God wrote a book, God sent his son, and God is superintending and overseeing everything that he says and causing it to be, all right? Again, again, I mean, just, just the evidence. The illustration that is famously given for this number is that you take the state of Texas, which is about three-quarters of the size of the province of Ontario, and if you... Um, if you filled it up two feet deep with silver dollar coins, okay? Two feet deep, seven hundred thousand square kilometers, okay? And you put one coin with a red mark on it, and you put a blindfold on a guy and you spun around a bunch of times, and you're like, go find the coin, okay? Okay. Two feet deep, seven hundred thousand kilometers, okay? Okay, square, And one coin, find it. That's the chances that these things could be f- just just the chance, okay? I got to wrote a book. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, the word of our God stands forever. Interestingly, other religious books claim divine inspiration, such as the Quran, the Book of Mormon, parts of the Veda, which is the Hindu scriptures. But understand this, none of these books contain predictive prophecy. None of them. Only the Bible contains predictive prophecy that can be measured and proven to be fulfilled. This is why we have such strong evidence that this book was written entirely by God and without error. I love Psalm 119, verse 160. The sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Amen, amen. Testimony of history, the testimony of prophecy. Thirdly, the testimony of manuscripts. The testimony of manuscripts now. Among the arguments for the, real, for the reliability of scripture, few are as clear and undeniable as the manuscript evidence, okay? Look at this chart. A lot of you have seen this before. Look at this chart on the screen as we study the validity of Roman history compared to the New Testament here, okay? Let's just take Caesar for a second, okay? His writings, 100 to to44 BC, okay? The earliest copy of this we have is AD 900, which is a, th- a thousand years between the time it was written and our earliest copy. A thousand years. On top of that, we have 10 manuscripts, okay, from antiquity. Uh, Plato, Wrote from 427 to 347. Again, earliest copy 8900, 1200 years between when it was written. Our earliest copy. That leaves a lot of uncertainty of what happened between those times. Number of manuscripts seven. Okay? Of course, these are all accepted as historical fact. Tacitus, A.D. 100, uh, first copy, uh, A.D. 1100, 1,000 years, 20. Homer's Iliad is kind of impressive. Written 900 B.C., earliest copy, 400 B.C., um, time spans 500 years, which is significant, 643 uh, manuscripts. Okay? And that's kind of impressive, but then you have the, and you have the, the New Testament. And just to know, again... The rigorous demands that have been placed upon the New Testament and all the evidence we have to understand what we do have as God's word. Written from 80, 40 to 100. Earliest copy. Look at, this is, this is so significant. 80, 125. Maybe even earlier. And of course as the decades go on, amazing how God provides yet another source of substantial, incredible, like the Dead Sea Scrolls were unbelievable back when that happened, and of course, the John Rylands papyrus that came out in the last several years. I mean, just so look at, look at um, span of years between earliest copy when written, 25 to 50 years. That's a very, very short time span for validating things, and the number of manuscripts that we contain as a whole with the New Testament, 24, over 24,000 uh, manuscripts. Okay? So, no matter which way you look at it, there's so much reason to say the scriptures we have are reliable. Listen to this. The quote says this. The New Testament has around 25,000 manuscripts, just under, almost 5,800 Greek manuscripts. With a textual variant rate of 0. 0.5, we learned last week, none of which have any major doctrine or meaning We have manuscripts that date back as early as 25 to 50 years after the original was written. And listen to this statement. Here it is. Which makes it by far, the New Testament, makes it by far the most reliable work of antiquity in existence. It makes it by far the most reliable work of antiquity in existence. No one else can say that. No other book can say that. We can. We can. Because God has written a book. Testimony of history. Testimony of prophecy. Testimony of manuscripts. How about this? The testimony of um, reproduction. Let's just look at like, how many copies of God's Word um, have been produced, just by sheer volume to bolster our faith. The Bible Society of the UK calculates the number of Bibles printed between 1816 and 1975 were just under uh, 2.5 billion. By 1992, the estimated number rolls to nearly 6 billion. Furthermore, worldwide sales of the Bible number more than a staggering hundred million a year, probably more even. This year, far outpacing any other book in history, without a book, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, year after year after year and again of all time. They estimate by the year 2007, some 7.5 billion Bibles have been distributed throughout the world. Again, no one else come close, and that doesn't even include all the digital forms of the Bible, which a lot of you are really fired up about, all right? And the New Testament alone has been published in nearly 1,400 languages, languages the gospel of mark in over 20 or just under 2400 languages and although these figures represent less than half of the languages and dialects presently in use in the world listen to this nonetheless they include the primary vehicles of communication of well over 90 percent of the world's population there's evidence to say that our book that we have in the bible is reliable here we go on to this next one is this the testimony now of indestructibility the Testimony of Indestructibility. I've kind of already said this, but I want to say it again because I love it so much. Okay? The Bible has suffered more vicious attacks than any other book in history, yet it has withstood all attackers. It has been subject to destruction, yet it's the most widely published book in the world today. Critics regard it as mythological, yet archaeology has established it as historical. Skeptics have cast doubt on its authenticity, yet more people are convinced of its truth today than ever. Attacks continue to come from all over, science, psychology, politically, yet the Bible remains undaunted. Be encouraged, loved ones. Be encouraged. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. Listen to this quote on the screen for you by Bernard Ram. He says this, A thousand times over, the death knell of the Bible has been sounded. The funeral procession formed, the inscription cut on the tombstone, and the committal read... But somehow the corpse never quite stays put. No other book has been so chopped, sliced, sifted, scrutinized, and vilified. What book on philosophy or religion or psychology or of modern times has been the subject of such a mass attack as the Bible with such venom and skepticism, with such thoroughness and erudition upon every chapter, line, and tenet? And yet, the Bible is still loved by millions and studied by millions. The testimony that we have of the book that God has given to us. What a gift of truth. What a gift of perfection. And I want to end right here as we go through the reliability of testimony. I want to end here. It's this, the testimony now of internal witness. The testimony of internal witness. Now, know what, I believe this. At the end of the day, the greatest testimony as to the reliability of God's word is that the truth. the true believer knows The true believer knows, look right here, look right here. The true believer knows this book is supernatural. See, because the true believer has received the gospel and has been saved from death to life, there is nothing more powerful than internally witnessing and understanding. God has written a book and he's using it to change my life every single day. This book is alive and this book is is active. One more passage um, let's turn to to end our time today. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. Hebrews Uh, chapter 4, just before James and Peter, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and then we will uh, be done. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Help your uh, neighbor get there if they need help finding the book of Hebrews. Near the end of the New Testament, Hebrews 4, verse 12. Oh, God, encourage us as you do all the time. Hebrews 4, verse 12 says few more pages turning. Praise God, you're turning in your Bibles, amen. How come we not, right? How come we not? It says this, Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the attentions of of the heart. Notice this first love once the Word of God is alive. And it is active. This book is alive. Time after time as we read God's word, what happens? We sense it moving from the page right into our very lives and our minds. And it goes from our minds and turns our affections and starts to guide our wills as well. And it brings transformation in Jesus Christ. I mean, how many times the conviction, the encouragement, the wisdom, the joy, and the life. And listen, listen, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, this book has proven to truly be super. Supernatural, literally transforming hundreds and hundreds of millions of people across the history again of time. The feeling of God's word to come in your mind and to turn your thoughts and then to guide your heart and again to direct your will. It's so awesome. This is what God's word. No other book can do this. Notice Nest, this book is sharper than any two-edged sword. So, with the precision of a supernatural surgeon. What does God's word do? It, 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 it puts us on the table as we are, are, are willing, willing to undergo this spiritual surgery. And God's word, it, it assesses the condition of the heart of man. It's the word of God that lays open our hearts and then assesses our spiritual health and begins to judge our intentions and judge our thoughts. I mean, how many times in church do we hear, I felt like you were speaking to me. I felt like you were speaking. You were speaking right to me. Listen, listen, listen. That's not the preacher. That's God and Holy Spirit and His Word. You're speaking to me. No, no, no. God's speaking to you. The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and when the book is open, He communicates His truth into your heart. You're speaking to me. You're speaking to me. God is, God is speaking to you. Any pastor, preacher, is just a, a messenger used by God's Spirit to take God's message and see it powerfully then impact the people who are listening. It's so awesome. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God. Again, if you're in a church and you close the book, you close God, okay? If you close the book in the church, man, you just say a little verse, close it, move on to a bunch of nice little stories, and you do all that, man, you are closing the voice of God. You are, you are silencing the power of the living and active word of God, and no lives will be changed. Yeah, they might laugh a little bit, and they might shed a tear over a, a sappy little story, and they might have a little bit of intellectual uh, knowledge, but at the end of the day, they're not changing. They're not changing, Because they're not relying on the word of God, which is alive and active, which is a two-edged sword. And notice that two-edged sword. What does that mean? It means that there's no part of God's word that is blunt or dull. Every chapter, every word carries divine sharpness. Listen, that can cut through the hardest of hearts. And finally notice in, in verse 12. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts... So precise, God's word's so precise, it's awesome. The thoughts and intentions, circle that last word, tell me, thoughts and intentions of the the, the what? the what? Of the heart. What does God want? God wants our heart. Again, again, the precision of his word alive in our hearts. There's no part of our lives that can hide from God's word when God chooses to speak. This is why time after time within this place, as the word of God is delivered, doesn't matter who's preaching, man. The word of God is delivered and repentance sets in and, re- and brokenness sets in and there's such a level of contrition as they say, God, you are holy and awesome and I am here in my sinful, depraved, feeble, and you love me? You know why we put Kleenexes in the, in the seats, right? Because you all like to cry, okay? And so do I. Because when God's power comes down, And his mercy is felt and his love is known. And we understand, again, how awesome he is and how lowly we are. And we see the love of God enveloping us through the power of his word, producing brokenness and repentance. Give me the Kleenex, man. I got some tears to shed. Right? Not just based on emotion, based on the truth. The truth of the power of God's truth in my heart changing my life. And again, what does God want to do? He takes his word and judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So notice this. Today's whole message. There's a lot of information today. But the point is not just information. The point is transformation. I don't like Bible heads, man. I'm just going to say, big Bible heads walking around. Hey, look how smart I am, man. I got a lot of truth and I got a legalistic attitude and I'm way better than you. And I'll show you all the truth I know, but I have a ton of pride in my life and head and I have no real Jesus in me. I'm not into that. Okay? And either is God. But what he's into is the heart that takes the truth and transforms it into a Christ-like approach, a posture of humility, affections becoming real. So down with the Bible heads, man, and in with the hearts that are alive with the blessing and the love of Jesus Christ. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Because when, when the heart is grabbed on by God, he's got all of you. He's got all of you and all of me. And that's why he's given us his book that we might be transformed forever. The supernatural witness that occurs through the word of God even today. Loved, with loved ones, oh, the reliability of the word of God. I mean, just hear it and receive it and be encouraged by it. The grass withers and the flower falls but the word of our God. It will stand forever. Again, again. Okay. time out, application. Time out for a second, okay? Take stock again, just like we began with. What are you relying on? Right now in your life, What are you relying? Are you relying on grass? All flesh is grass. All flesh is grass, and the grass withers, and the flower falls. Are we relying on grass? Hey, listen, wisdom, wisdom, wisdom's like, hey, hey, wisdom, I'm calling out. Wisdom's like, hey, I got something to say right now. Wisdom from God's words, like you got to hear me. Wisdom wants you to hear. Listen, listen. Are you relying on the Stark market? Grass. Are you relying on your next possession? Grass. Are you relying on your boyfriend right now? It's a bad plan, man. He'll let you down. It is. He'll, he'll let you down, okay? He's grass, man. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Are you, are you relying on some talk show host? Are you relying on some ridiculous horoscope? Are you relying on the wisdom of man? It's all, it's all grass, man. It's grass. Are you relying on some hobby to give you satisfaction and pleasure day after day after day? It's grass. It's all grass, Wisdom calls out and says, man, there's one that stands forever. The Lord does, and he has given us his word. Listen, listen, listen. are you relying on your pastor? He's grass, man. Don't rely on me. Rely on God and his word. And the only usefulness I bring is if I communicate this to you. Don't rely on your pastor. He'll let you down too. He will. You rely on the Lord. Because the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray, let's pray. Father, I pray right now that there's a commitment and a resolve. Loved ones, just just take a moment right now. Just be still where you are and just you before the Lord, me before the Lord, take stock. God, what am I relying on? What is it that I'm relying on? Am I relying on grass in my life, that which is transient, that which will not last Am I relying on things of this world so much? Am I, am, I, am I so concerned about what certain people think? Am I fearful of those who ultimately, God, will come and go like that, like that? Am I, am, I, am I allowing individuals to run my life in the sense that I'm so afraid for my safety, so afraid of my future, that I'm neglecting you? Oh God, I pray it's not so. God, I pray for me. It's not so. Wisdom is calling out today. And Winston says, man, it, it seems like it's a big deal in the moment. That person seems like a big deal in the moment. But in the, in the landscape of eternity, they are but a, a mist and a vapor and poof, they're gone. The Lord's breath blows on them and they, and, they, and they disintegrate. And so God, I pray, pray even now that there's a commitment among your church. And maybe you like me, loved ones, you just want to say, Lord, I I resolve today, I want to trust in you and your word. I resolve today, Lord, um, that your word stands forever. And so, Lord, forgive me. Um, Forgive me, God. Um, We repent. We repent of fearing man. We repent of being so concerned with the temporal, uh, guiding our lives and, and leading our hearts astray. And we have neglected your truth and your word. But today's a new day and for the glory of God and for the love of Jesus Christ. I pray that today we say again, Lord, I want to fear you. I want to fear you because you're the one who holds all authority over this universe. You're the one who is master and king. You're the one who is awesome in every possible way. It's you, God. It's you. So Lord, take this foundation of your word and I pray that, that blocks and bricks are being built up into a very formidable house. May it be so, Lord. Encourage, encourage each person. And help us to see just how great you are and how you are worth living for. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And if you agree, you can say amen. Amen. Amen.